0: Thank <laughs> Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today. And just for everyone's context, uh, Eric is the founder and CEO of Creator Institute, a B corporation whose mission is to inspire, teach, and support tomorrow's creators, including authors, podcasters, speakers, entrepreneurs, corporate innovators, and course builders. Through his work, he has approached nearly 1,000 first-time creators. Uh, Prior to his career in education and ed tech, Eric has been a serial entrepreneur. Nora and founded Ventures backed by Kleiner Perkins, Ashton Kutcher, Floodgate Capital, Uh, Meg Whitman and Steve Blank. He has served as the managing director for NextGen Venture Partners, an early-stage technology venture capital firm, and today is a venture partner. Eric is also a corporate attorney specializing in securities, venture capital, and startups at Cooley LLP and a financial professional and CPA at a leading biotechnology and diagnostics company. Uh, Incredible, Eric. Uh, He's also a (laughs) two-time TEDx uh, speaker and his book's founder, JD, Green Entrepreneur handbook and starting a high-tech business venture all have been well received by leaders eric is also the host of a podcast called the learning project featuring conversations with creators and innovators including tiffany haddish ariana huffington apollo ono dan pink roy Choi, uh nish chopra and chris voss holy camoly eric you have such an incredible um Backstory and I'm so thankful that you are talking with us today. And so I just want to hand the floor over to you. Was there anything I missed in uh on, on top of all that?
1: No, I mean I'll send you the check for saying such nice things. Um <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I think I think uh I mean, I mean maybe what I would sort of maybe say in a general way is I think that probably what my career as sort of looked like is probably very similar to what a lot of people in this communities are. I think, of, I think of careers in this different way. It used to be that like, it was all about you do one thing and you build this thing. And I think a lot of us now are building much more of a portfolio of bigger things. So, you know, a portfolio of, you know, businesses we have, you do some consulting, maybe you do some other stuff, maybe you have some venture stuff, you do some writing, you do a book. Like, I think that's really what I love today is I think that the world is changing from this like, It's all about focus in terms of like now it's about building a portfolio of things that sort of are creative to each other. So that's what I think has really been interesting to watch. And I see it, you know, I teach at Georgetown and I work with all kinds of ambitious people. And I think there's this message out there that says, focus, focus, focus. That's what success is like. And I I think it's certainly there is some things about focusing to do work and create things. But I also believe that so much today is, is about this portfolio idea of like, how can I work on things that benefit one another? So like, I mean, yes, I've written books and I've, you know, I've written a children's book with my daughters and I've got a podcast and I teach and I have a coaching program and I help authors, but I think part of it to know is that I don't view those as like being unfocused. I view it as having like a broader mission behind it. And, and that's kind of what my goal is to be sort of this person who helps, you know, activate. Um, I've actually helped 2000 published authors now, which is crazy to think about in the last oh. eight years, 250 national book award winners and finalists. Um, and so, yeah, having that kind of like mission of how it fits together has been a really neat thing for me. So I'm really happy to be here and, and happy to kind of go where you want to, you want to take this.
0: Yeah, and we've been uh, so fortunate to get some questions from the community and to be able to help lead and guide the the dialogue. But I, I'd love to start off. You mentioned having supported over two thousand entrepreneurs in building content and really building up their brands. And I'd love to hear. You know, we've talked prior about the importance of that content, not just in a I am an author perspective, but how it can build your entire brand. So I'd I'd love to hear your more your yeah. take.
1: So I'll take a step back a little bit. I think the first thing that might be helpful. So part of what's been fascinating to me is I'm always interested in really understanding like, what does it take to succeed today? And, and part of the reason that was so fascinating to me is I got the chance to, you know, I got the chance to start teaching at Georgetown. Now, the reason that is interesting is because I wasn't smart enough in undergrad to get into Georgetown. And so the fact that I like, I get to teach there is always interesting to me because it sort of, it, it has this question of like, okay, well, like it's a lot of people feel like there's these tracks that you have to be on to be successful. And I think what I always wanna understand is, okay, like what does it actually take to be ambitious, but to realize that ambition, right? That's the thing. So part of what was interesting is I met these really smart, ambitious kids in undergrad and MBA programs who wanted to do cool things. And their questions were always like, how do I become a success, whatever their version of success is? So I spent a lot of time really thinking about that. And like, how do I you know, advise people and be a better mentor? And some of this you can see in my recent book called Super Mentors. But what was really fascinating to me is like, what does it mean? And how do you wind up actually stacking the deck in your favor? Like, how do you make your own luck, right? There's all these people who seem to be lucky. How do you do it? So I stepped back and said, well, let me figure out first, like who actually is succeeding today? And so I I spent some time actually studying the Forbes 30 under 30, which you are uh, obviously a member of. And, And I think whatever people think about the list, right? And again, this is not to sort of say it's good or bad. But it's clearly a collection of people who have realized their ambition, right? They're successful founders and athletes and they're they're people who are out there making the most in the world right now. And so there's a set of people who are alums like yourself. And so I I pulled step back and studied about 6,000 of the people on this list. And I wanted to understand like what was unique about them? What was different about those things? So the first question that I thought is, well, okay, maybe... Some people say, well, you need to go to like an elite school, like Ivy League school, and that's what gets you on it. Like there's this network effect around that. And so the first thing that's interesting in the data is that wasn't true. So only about like, you know. There was about of the top 10 schools out there, less than 15% of the people on the list went to a top 10 school. In fact, there was over 650 different schools listed in there. So undergrad wasn't really a factor that was like, sure, Like there were people who went to it, but it wasn't a factor that like this gets you on the list, right? That was the first thing. The second thing was I thought, well, maybe people go to some fine school and then they become, they go to a graduate school and this like better graduate school. Turns out that couldn't be further from the list either. Like, in fact, there were more people on the list who didn't go to college or dropped out than went to graduate school. So really interesting insight there that wasn't that. Then I thought, well, maybe it was so much about starting a company and you got to start a company in college. A lot of people on the list start companies, but it's usually later. They're not like starting them right away. So I tried to figure out like, what was the thing that I could find that was commonality? And that's when I figured it out. So on that list, 84% of people on there had what we would describe as a piece of signature content or a signature kind of thing that they'd created. And these were not, you know, a startup they'd created. they were something else. So as we broke that down, we saw things like these were people who were writing books and they were putting it out that way, or they had maybe launched a podcast that was this signature thing, or maybe they put on a conference or an event series, maybe they had some published research, maybe they put on concerts or art, but we found these nine different sort of signature things they created that all had a couple of things in common. Number one, these were things that were public displays. So it wasn't that they did something and told no one about it, it's that they had to put it out in the world. So there was this publicness to it. The second thing is they were collaborating collaborative. There were things that they did with other people. They collaborated with people to do them, whatever that may be, uh, having people on their podcast as guests or having people attend their conference as speakers or you know, work on something together. Uh, and the last thing that was really interesting is they were tied to a broader purpose that they had. It was part of their mission and their mantra. So what, what it really illustrated to me is that so much about success today is, is actually creating things so that people can actually understand who you are, what matters. And so that really is what led me into this insight to sort of say, you know, when I meet someone who's ambitious, someone who wants to do something, um, maybe they don't want to start a company or maybe they don't want to, they're, they're not in a position where they're ready to make a big career leap. But I do think that every person should be thinking about something signature that it is. And what I've learned about these these things, right? These signature content pieces is, you know, we hear this phrase all the time, social proof, social proof. And I actually call it something different. All of us need to be focused on social legacy, things that last. So it's not about like how many people like your tweets or how many people, it's this things that you can last, that you can share that create today's social legacy. So that's really what I've sort of focused on is this idea of if you want to, you know, again, find opportunities that come to you if you want to elevate your career, open opportunities for you, what is the thing that you're thinking about that's that signature content that leads to social legacy? And I think when you do that one, people are happier, they're realizing their potential and quite frankly they're doing things that mean something to them. And that's really kind of been so much of my sort of life's mission for the last eight or nine years. Um, And it's neat to see like when people do things that they create things they care about that are collaborative, that are public and that are tied to their purpose, their lives just improve in some really cool and demonstrable ways.
0: Wow. That's incredible. And as you were explaining that, I was thinking back to Angela Duckworth's grit. And when she had looked at what makes someone successful? Is there one trait that you can pin it on? And and as you kinda did the breakdown, it was similar to what her book um analysis had of is it going to be where they went to school? Can you put it down on their leadership? Right. And and it inevitably her whole book was the selling
1: of the importance of grit and the parts of overcoming so
0: that was that was really interesting to hear the yeah yeah.
1: well and i'll actually pile onto that a little bit about why these what does it mean to create these signature things because it's funny if i've actually like shared some of these this interesting research i did with angela uh as well and i think what's interesting about all of these signature pieces is they actually Uh, are interesting demonstrations of two really important traits that we see in success today. Grit is certainly one with Angela Duckworth, and it really is this idea of, you know, persistence towards your passions. That's what Angela found is important. The other one is this concept called, by Carol Dweck called the growth mindset. And growth mindset are people who really believe that, like, they can improve and they can do things behind it. And what's really interesting when we started to study the power of these, you know, sort of signature content pieces, like is that all of them are things that from our research we found, they will take someone usually at least six months to complete. So it's not something you can do in a weekend. These things take time. They are sort of their signature in that kind of way. So like I said, it takes you six to 12 months to, you know, finish a podcast season or six to 12 months to put on a major, meaningful conference or an event series or six to 12 months to do a book. So they're a signature in that kind of way. But here's why actually they are so powerful for us in terms of our own success. So it's not just that like it proves that it, that it shows that you have grit. It's interesting about how this actually changes us and changes others' perceptions of us. So the first thing that happens, let's just say, we'll use the book, for example, because that's what I teach people how to do through the programs I run. But What's interesting about a book is to first understand that it's very, very difficult for most people to accomplish, right? So when you start a book, only about 1.3% of people, according to the New York Times, will ever finish it, right? So 98% of people that start something like this fail. And similar things, right? You look at podcasts, like something like 5% of people that start a podcast will ever get beyond 15 episodes. So just understand that the failure rates are very high. So when someone, completes a piece of signature content, suddenly they've done something that most people don't do. They've they've they're now in the point one per the one percent of whatever this thing is behind it. And so what this really does is it actually unlocks our own growth mindset. It's not just that we believe that we can improve and grow. It's that we actually have proof to ourselves. So suddenly what changed about ourselves is we believe we can do hard things. So once you finished a book that, you know, now you're in the 1.3% of people. Now, you know, I can do hard things. So the first thing is now I have a different belief of self. But here's the second thing that happens, right? So remember what I told you, 98% of people that start a book won't finish. And, you know, 95% of people that start a podcast won't get beyond, um, you know, 15 episodes. Well, when people see that you did that, they believe that you're gritty, Right? they believe that you have grit, you have this persistence. So what they think is, wow, you're exceptional, right? They suddenly now see you differently. And so what happens is it, it creates this really interesting sort of flywheel. We call it the inflection flywheel. So what happens now is you finish this hard signature thing. You finish, you publish your book, you now have this full, you know, this event series you put on. People see you and say, wow, you're really exceptional. Like, you're really great. I would love to basically partner with you or give you this job or do this opportunity. And you take it and you take that thing because you know you can and you thrive at it and now more people give it so it creates this interesting flywheel. Now people give me opportunities and I take them and I take more of them and I know I can accomplish it. So it's really, really interesting. It's not just about grit or about growth mindset, the idea of creating, again, what we would call, describe as social legacy, these pieces of signature content, is actually about sort of transforming our inflection point. And that's one of the things that we saw and observe. And it's fascinating when you see it, like you can't kind of unsee it when you do, but if you want to basically develop grit and growth mindset, you can't just sort of like think about them. And that's one of the things that that Angela has shared a lot is that schools say like, help us make our kids grittier. That's really hard. She has something called the Character Lab that's a really challenging thing. They haven't figured it out. And people say, well, help me unlock the growth mindset. Why this has been such a passion for me is we sort of have figured out something really interesting that is a way for ambitious people to build their grit or their perception that they're gritty and unlock their growth mindset in a way that changes their trajectory. So I love what I get to do because I take people who are ambitious to actually build realization of that ambition. And it comes from the psychology that unlocks in them and other people when you actually create and release whatever that signature content is.
0: I love that. And can you elaborate too on what is defined as signature content. I know we've discussed books, podcasts, but are there other mediums?
1: Yeah, so we've identified nine um, kind of signature pieces of content. And what we found was common in all of them is they had sort of these these, these interesting traits behind them, right? Number one, um, they're collaborative. So they have something that you collaborate on. Uh, number two, they will take you six to 12 months, typically. Again, usually to complete a project like that, it will take you six to 12 months. Um, it is completable, right? It's something you can finish. So you finish something behind it. Um, and and typically it's not done primarily for money. Those are kind of the main traits behind them. So what you'll notice is that things like a startup are not on it. And part of the reason for that is that once there's a business aim in it, it kind of changes the relationship with other people behind it. So we found nine things that we found commonly against it. And they're they're, they're very well, maybe other, but these were the nine most common ones. Um, And I'm happy to sort of share the list for it, but certainly we saw things like finishing something kind of an audio show or season. So doing kind of an audio season. So it's not about launching a podcast, it's finishing a season. So typically what we found in all these signature pieces of content is they have a number before them. So what I would mean by that is a 15 episode season of an audio show or a 10 episode season of a video show on youtube so audio shows video shows or pieces of signature content that you may see um a book so i have a 200 page book in that kind of way um doing event series or conferences so i put together a 12 part event series or a two-day conference like that's another example of signature content in that way. Um, publishing research. So for example, I published this research. I put it out there in that kind of way. Signature research is another example. Um, putting on concerts or other types of like demonstrations in that way. So concerts or art exhibits or other ones. Designing some kind of a product. Again, it's not like a startup, but it's a product that I can put out there is another example um, behind it. So those are like kind of some of the more common ones. I think in general, what you'll sort of see behind them is that uh, they are things that are meaningful, that are meaty. Um, I liken to sort of oftentimes say they're things that uh, usually you are, are finishable. So I finished this conference. I finished writing this book and published it. I finished the season of the audio show in that way. Um, so that's it. And, and the there are nine of them that we found um, in this one. And I think oftentimes when you start to realize they're different than something that has that ephemeral nature, but they're something that's meaningful. The best way I would tell you to think about it is Something that's big enough that when you release it, you could throw a party. <laughs> that's kind of the way to think about what signature content is. Oh, wow. Like we want to celebrate. We had this season, you know, we finished season. We have a season wrap for our, or whatever it may be. We wrap the conference. I have a launch party for the book. That's a good way to think about what signature content is.
0: I love that. And I also love parties. So I tend to enjoy celebrating as much as possible. So maybe I have uh, many signature contents that I've uh, (laughs) done. and just need to reevaluate the perspective of of those milestones. One of the questions that that we had received uh, for you, Eric, was that there have been individuals that had undertaken the desire to write books, to create signature content and then they just burn out or get distracted or hit writer's block or you can finish the sentence a million different ways that you've heard situations probably what do you say to those individuals when they're doing it is it put it down pause take some time is it just like pound through what 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 is helpful for those people
1: yeah, so it's it's an interesting question, right? And I think the the first couple of things I'll say is I think what's what's interesting about most of the, you know, signature content, writing a book what might have you, but in particular we found with writing books is that most people the failure happens when they essentially treat it as an individual endeavor versus building kind of a community around them. So it's one of the interesting insights of when I started teaching people to write books. And like I told you, I've now done 2,000 published authors and, you know, help people with all kinds of things. But the biggest thing that happens when someone who's been trying it on their own to basically having success is usually they build a community. So, you know, we have a community of authors that go through things together. We pair authors up with editors and coaches in that kind of way. So I think that part of what the biggest challenge oftentimes is that we're really hard critics on ourselves. And so, so much about creating signature things and and having signature um you know content that come out there is building uh, is thinking about the community. So I oftentimes tell people when they find themselves struggling is that usually you have to change it around from it's not about me it's about other people. So the first step is like if I were struggling with, you know, starting a book, and, and this actually happened to me, so I published a book last year called Super Mentors, and um, during the middle of it, had some like personal challenges that popped up with some things. It was during the middle of the pandemic; all the stuff was going on, and so I tried to quit. And it was my development letter, named Shonda Lane who said, like, no, you're not quitting. I'm not letting you quit behind it. And that really, I think, is what it is. So many of the times I think where people struggle, it's do you have someone who's a peer accountability person? Do you have a coach? Do you have someone who's, you know, a community around you? I think that goes a long, long ways in it. But, you know, there's that you know, African proverb that you've probably heard. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together, I think that's probably a big part of it and evaluating it. And I think that part of that comes down to what most first-time creators of things, first-time creators of events, first-time creators of books, podcast seasons, um, they, they believe that it's all about the individual. They like push through behind it. But when you actually talk to people, almost everyone that finishes things has a team and a community and support around them. So that's, I think, a big part of it is Design something that is collaborative from the start, and you're more likely to finish. That's really, really, really important in all these.
0: No, I want to also ask you a question that we've discussed prior, because I think you had an incredible perspective that changed my perspective. And I love, I love when people do that to me, and I pose a, a question and they go, well, actually, if we you thought of it this way, which was that I had heard prior that it's important to put out content that you absorb. So, for example, I have spent innumerable years in school and to that end, reading is really not an enjoyable pastime activity. Mm -hmm. So I always thought that the idea of putting out a book when I personally do not absorb reading in the same way that other people um, who enjoy reading do would not be in the cards for me. What is your
1: perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, so I think, so the the first thing to know in this one is that I I think part of it is um, we oftentimes sort of think about a process in terms of like what it was like to be a fifth grader, right? Like Miss Healy was, you know, my English teacher in fifth grade, like, I didn't like writing papers and and I think as an adult, we have to sort of relearn a a lot of things and a lot of traits and a lot of pieces behind it. So I think the first thing is to sort of step back and sort of understand that like, you know, creation is creation. And so, you know, if you enjoy, you know, I oftentimes sort of think to people is, I think that people fail to understand that creating anything is gonna be difficult. You're gonna learn something new along the way. So even for example, like writing, um, you know, I grew up, I've written things all my life. Um, But writing a book is hard. And so oftentimes you have to think about like, you have to learn new skills and traits. So I think the first thing that I would sort of share with people is um, that signature content is something that you're excited to sort of share with other people, but to know that just because it's easy to turn on your phone and record video doesn't mean that you'll be Mr. Beast, right? He works very, very hard to be exceptional at it. Or just because you like to you know, listen to your iPhone doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be Tim Ferriss. All these things take work behind it. Um, so that's the first thing I would sort of say is like, I think what you really want to do is think about like, what is it that you want to become great at? And if you, you know, I want to become better at writer, I want to become better as a an interviewer, I want to be better as a teacher. That's the first thing to know. And that you're going to have to, you know, being an amateur, interested as an amateur is very different than being someone who's a professional creator on it. Um, But the other thing I would sort of say, in terms of from a book is I think that people oftentimes sort of don't, really understand about how any piece of signature content is really about having something that is that social legacy, where right? you have this piece behind it, whether it's a book on the shelf or whether it's a season of a show or a season of, an, of a, a podcast. And a lot of what's interesting about signature content is once you have it, then you can actually distribute it in lots of different ways. So you can turn it into audio episodes. You can turn it into snippets and videos. You can turn it into things. And so I think for a lot of us as content creators, the most important thing that I could tell you to think about is you want something that is signature enough that you can celebrate that almost serves as a new type of credential, right? Like what was really interesting, I was just I just gave a talk last week. And what's fascinating behind it is what is the first thing they said? Eric is an award-winning author, right? That's a new credential behind it. And then the next thing they said is Eric is also has a a podcast that he's done to, you know, like, so people are actually defining us by these signature pieces of content. And so I I think from your standpoint, you want to have something signature that you can do that people can see you by, but also... Remember that, like, not everyone's going to read your book. Some people may see you on an episode or hear you in these ways, and so it also serves as this bevy of smaller pieces. Um, And especially for this audience, you think about people like a Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Gary Vaynerchuk is like constant, and and Alex Hormozzi, two really great examples today of people who are constantly putting out content. What did both of them put out last year? Books right? Even though they put out stuff and they have big followings behind it, books are those signature pieces that are demonstrable. They create that social legacy. Um, So it's not just about the volume of content. It's also that there's a credential that comes when having that signature piece.
0: One of the other questions that we had received for you, Eric, is people in the community and people that you've worked with as innovators, as entrepreneurs, are extremely busy people. Yep. And the undertaking of creating signature content sounds like a very large conscious undertaking of 6 to 12 months of time yep. and, or more, right? Have you seen uh the people that you've worked with come up with concepts and hire people externally to support in either ghostwriting capacities or other ways to help alleviate some of the uh, logistical burdens while also having the the payout of it being your thoughts and ideas.
1: yeah. so so there's a lot to unpack in that question, the first thing. So I think I think I think I'll start with the first piece of it is like the actual amount of of time people sort of expect in it. And so I think part of it is understanding that what's interesting about signature content. So writing a book uh, is just an example behind it. Is you really can't like shortchange the process and make it like you just can't do it in a weekend, no matter what. Like there's things that you may see online. You'll you'll write a book in five days. BS. It's not a real thing. And even like having ghost writers and none of that stuff is really true. So part of the value of it is that it takes. A substantial amount of time to develop something exceptional and so anyone who wants to try and hack the process of signature content doesn't understand why it's called signature content and the reason for it is because the perception of it is so high people believe when you put in the effort to make a book or whether you put in the effort to put together a full well-done season of something that it that it's that's why. It's because the perception of it is quite high. So you can't hack it, right? You can't tweet your way through it. But the first thing is to know that one. That's the first part of it is that the value in it comes from the perception that it was difficult to produce in those ways. The second thing they'll tell us is, tell is that difficult doesn't mean impossible. And so most of the time our authors and our author community, we've heard of 2,000 people, all of them are you know busy entrepreneurs, coaches. Um, they say they invest four to six hours a week working on their book, their project. And so you know, it's not like you have to quit your job and go off in a cabin and do this for a year, but you do need to carve out things. So I'm, I'm super busy, right? I mean, I've got three kids, I've got projects, I'm teaching all that kind of stuff, but I carve out two mornings a week, usually two mornings um, per week um, to write. um, And I do it twice. So I have two books that are kind of going a novel project and a nonfiction project. Now, some people may say like, okay, well, I don't know if I have four to six hours a week. Well, then probably like you shouldn't do signature content, right? Like hiring a ghostwriter is not going to do it because the key thing to know behind it is it's not the writing part that's hard. (laughs) It's actually the process of building something in that way. So first thing is, again, signature content is important because the perception is valuable. Second thing behind it is that maybe it's less time than people think. Again, most people spend four to six hours a week on it, but they do this over a six to 12 month period. So you want to carve that thing out the last thing i'll tell you though behind it is i think that part of what's also interesting to understand is that people think that it's like the writing process or it's the process of like you know maybe i can hire someone to you know do the videos for me and stuff like that behind it um really that's not the hard part <laughs> so like the you know i've for example, like I've tested, uh, you know, the AI tools, chat GPT, I've tested it and spent like almost 80 hours trying to figure out, could I actually use this thing to create content that could go into my book? And it won't, it doesn't hack the system, right? I've hired ghostwriters to try and see if people could do it for me. It doesn't do it. So I think part of what I would say is to think about these things is you really want to think to yourself, okay, if I don't, if I can't invest four to six hours and find ways to make that four to six hours efficient, then I really shouldn't be thinking about signature content because you sort of, you need that time. Like, I need to sit down and think about it. I need to interview smart people. I need to build those relationships, those things behind it. Now I can make that more efficient. Like I do use ChatGPT to help me think about, you know, how I can brainstorm stuff and coming up with ideas, but I really can't like outsource that to someone else because even if I outsource it, I still need to reevaluate it, right? I always think about the best way for anyone thinking about using ChatGPT for content creation is it's a really, really great intern. But like, I'm not going to like, publish my intern stuff on thing because like it's just an intern level stuff, right? It doesn't have that depth behind it in that way. So the tools are there to make it more efficient, four to six hours is what I would sort of say to do. But if you're not willing to carve out four to six hours on a project, then I don't think people will perceive the value in creating signature content. I would just do it. So I would make that call. Is it something that's worth me carving out a chunk of four to six hours a week as a part-time thing. And then I make that four to six hours as efficient as possible by maybe having someone who does some research for me, or maybe having an editor who reviews my stuff, or maybe having someone who cuts the, the filming into it. But you sort of, I don't think that you could basically outsource signature content and have it also have the value. So you sort of can't have your cake and eat it too. But I think you can decide I'm going to have cake and I'm going to be very efficient and how I actually do it in that regard. So is that, help anyways a little bit, I guess?
0: Yeah, no, that definitely, that definitely adds uh, some clarity and context. And I know that I had, I have another question that was, that was submitted, but I want to touch on real quickly what you just brought up, because I think it's fascinating, specifically the utilization of artificial intelligence and where chat GPT could or will not disrupt Mm -hmm. this segment uh, of of content creation. Yep. What have you seen? I feel like people are throwing around these buzzwords and it's become so sexy and ubiquitous and and mainstream, but we're still figuring out the implications.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a it's a great question. I mean, I think the first thing I'll say is I think um it, you know, I've been teaching people to use AI writing tools actually since 2021. So before ChatGPT, I've been teaching people how to use it. And the reason was is because I, as I was working with, you know, authors, there's this tendency to think like I'm stuck. Maybe someone can write it for me. Maybe it can be AI, whatever it is. So basically I've been teaching it for a long time. So I've exposed, you know, thousands of people to it and no one has been able to turn it into a book, right? Maybe it helps them with some things, but it doesn't sort of do it. So again, the first thing to know is that I think we always... Um, not always, but historically, when we look at technology, we all we overestimate its impact, especially in the short term. So AI is going to disrupt writing. AI is going to do this things. I think certainly there are things that it can be helpful at, but I don't think I don't think it's going to really sort of change some of the things that sort of really ambitious people do. And 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 I think that's kind of what it is. I think it's I think it's rose raised the floor, but I don't think it's lowered the ceiling. Right? I guess I would sort of say it. So I think that's sort of what I. I sort of see. Um, because I think what's interesting about these tools is that they really are not able to do some of the complex things that the human brain can do. They're not. So when you really understand what AI is doing, it's predicting what the next thing should be based on a data set, right? They're, they're just not they're not able to kind of come up with some of the clever things that happen in that regard. So I think it's helpful. It's good, but I don't think it's disrupting those pieces of it. And I think if I were to sort of share something with this audience behind it is if you wrote something that AI could do. It's not good enough to be signature content, right? It's not that way anyway. So that's what I would sort of say is like, remember what you're trying to do is you want to be elite. You want things that are elite behind it and you can use tools to make that more efficient, but I don't think you can do something um, in that regard. What I will tell you is where I think things are going is actually a fascinating kind of question a little bit. So part of the thing that's also interesting from a macro standpoint of understanding AI and some of these things out there is they're they're actually right now drawing on data that's not yours, right? So if you use ChatGPT, it's actually writing based on all of this data that's been gathered from other people. And usually it's not yours, right? So it's this, you know, You're pulling from other people's writings, their books and stuff like that. And so the first thing, there is some like actual risk that I would sort of say that potentially could be some level of risk in it. I'm not like concerned about it in a major way. I think it's really kind of hard to abstract, but do know that like some big authors have actually gone out and sued OpenAI um, to basically say like, you used my information to train this thing. Stop. And pay me, kind of those things. So there's some interesting things on that one to sort of understand, just to be aware of. I think what will be interesting from my standpoint is I look at these tools, because I don't think, again, they're replacing particularly humans that are exceptional, right? So 20%, if you want to be in the top 20% of your profession, I think you will need to use AI to complement, but it will not replace the things that you do. Here's where I think some of this stuff gets interesting from content creation and stuff like that. I actually think that for people who are creating quite a bit of content, that eventually AI will be able to predict what you would do. And I'll give you an example. So I've created an awful lot of content. Like my YouTube channel has thousands of hours of video content for my courses I've created. I've written thousands of words, thousands and hundreds of thousands of blog posts, words. I've written multiple books behind it. And so I've created a lot of content, a lot of intellectual property that came from me that I turned into these public pieces of it. So a few weeks ago, someone reached out to me saying, hey, um, I've developed AI that could basically clone you. And here's what it does, is you feed it information that you've created. So it's not just feeding stuff from the the universe. It's fed information from me, my books, my writing, my stories, my words behind it. And it's fed into it. And now you can talk to me based on the language learning models that come from it. And I will tell you, I was like kind of skeptical. I was like, well, this like can't actually work. This thing doesn't seem like it's going to know it. It's crazy. It's crazy to see because it will answer things and use language that I would use and use thought patterns I would use because it's based on my knowledge. So it's a language learning model based on my contributions already. So why is that interesting? Well, it's interesting because I think what it allows me to do is if I wanted to develop more IP, I can use this one to start to build on my own knowledge in that way. So that's what I think is fascinating for it. Again, I don't think that it can, again, A, like you can, Use AI to build on the back of other people. But if you really want to see the future as a musician, as an artist, as a creative, as a writer, I think the real future is to sort of say, how can I pull from what knowledge I've created and build on top of it? That is a fascinating area that I think will be the most one. So I think wave one of AI has been a lot about showing like what these tools can do, but it's generalized and it's not particularly... Thoughtful at drawing inferences and intersections. Second wave will, I think, will be getting it smarter. But the third wave, or maybe the second and third wave together, is about making it so that it is using AI to curate and harness my knowledge and look for patterns that maybe I missed or that I could build on in those ways. So that's what I'm excited about. And and I think that's what, for example, if I think about my own writing, I would love to be able to engage with this, you know, clone, as they call it, and ask it questions about like sort of like things that I might think about from my standpoint, because then I've created IP that's mine that I can build on top of. And frankly, like that's where I think the future will get more exciting.
0: That's fascinating. And I think we'll have some really interesting intellectual property implications of who owns the IP. Uh, if, if that turns out to be open source. You are an attorney. And so I understand- Recovered
1: attorney. I'm recovered. recovered attorney. Okay, <laughs> so, we, won't, we yes. won't hold it
0: against you, Eric. Yeah. But I think I wanted to ask you, you mentioned about intellectual property and you also mentioned that the best you know, development of signature content includes a community and really ties in that community angle. I work in- a life science space where collaboration oftentimes is very much frowned upon because of the issue of intellectual property and the risks that it can pose down the road. Um, How do you make sure that you're protecting your intellectual property and making sure that someone else can't come in and have a claim over what you've developed if in fact what you are developing is in a collaborative manner?
1: So I think I think the first thing to sort of think about is I think we we should we should separate what's being discussed here of what things are novel creation that you would want to protect versus yeah. the idea of, you know, collaborative knowledge creation. because, like there the the reality of it is is that I think that a lot of there's there's, you know, I'm a big believer in the Austin Cleon, like, that most of the things out there are are not truly original in the world of content, right? We're, we're remixing things like, you know, the hero's journey is the hero's journey, right? Like the, the so like most stories are retold, right? If you actually, there's a comedian who makes a, to tells the story of like look at the story of star Wars and then compare that story to Harry Potter. And there's like some real similar, like themes and structures of it, right? Like orphan boy, has this mean uncle like ha- this crazy wizard with a beard comes in, like they're the same themes right they're just different settings right there's the fantasy setting so i'm not saying that it was jk rowling stole that i was just saying that like i think that content is something that um everything is a remix on everything so the first thing i would sort of say is like remember that content usually is very rarely purely novel in that kind of way it's always remixes on themes and mm-hmm. You know, I wrote a novel project and people are like, oh, there's these elements that remind me of Harry Potter. Of course, I've seen Harry Potter. Like, there's only so many ways you can do magic and stuff like that behind it. So I think part of it is you don't want to copy, but be inspired by. And the way that you do that is if you're creating content, is that you want to reference the people that you use. You want to make sure that you build on you don't copy. And you want to really be thoughtful about the fact that like it's actually good to involve other people in those pieces and ways um, if done in the right way. So from a content standpoint, I'm not particularly worried about collaboration. I think if you're looking at some of these questions of building businesses and doing research and stuff like that behind it, it's a different set of problems there, right? Like you're looking to build you know, stuff that's patentable or protectable in those ways, but that's a different problem from this conversation. I, I don't worry about IP. Uh, in terms of those pieces of it, because frankly, you couldn't protect it anyways, right? You can, so copywriting is something that you can protect once you put it out in the world. So like, if I write a sentence in this way, that is a sentence that I have put out there and created. If someone copies it and puts it in their stuff, then it's an issue. But otherwise, like collaboration is great, right? Like some of the best things I I often, you know, I think about collaboration is like one of my favorite hip hop artists of all time is, is Snoop Dogg. What was the last Snoop Dogg song that he wrote that you can remember? I I don't I like I honestly don't I can't think about songs that I remember of Snoop like it's like Gin and Juice from way back in the day right? But Snoop is still in the public domain a lot like he's in the public persona. Why? Well, Snoop Dogg has been a featured artist on five hundred and eighty-four different tracks that are not so it's not his track but he's featured on it. Mm. So part of what's interesting here is that like you know when you like, I don't know if you saw like this week, Drake came out with his, you know, new album and stuff like that. And, um you know, like a lot of the tracks were featuring other people behind it. So collaboration is great. It's a good thing because um, it allows us to elevate other people in those ways. Um, but I think a lot of it is just, do you have a strategy to do it well and effectively? And so for Snoop, like when people say he evaluates the person and says, is this someone that I want to lift up and someone that will, by lifting them up, lift me up, he does it. And he's done it 584 times at least. And uh, and I think that's part of his his uh, his secret. So I think collaboration is a really great thing. I wouldn't be afraid of collaborating because of IP, especially on the content side. I think on the you know the research side of it, certainly a different problem. But in this one, I'm I'm not concerned about it.
0: Yeah, and I think in that lens we come into different situations and growth from our our experiences so that's where anytime i hear that i I hear ip and collaboration go hand in hand i'm like ah let me let me call my attorneys and see what they say uh but no that's that's fascinating so you're saying that at the point that you actually publish your book is when you would file for a copyright not not when you have like a first draft prior to giving it to someone
1: to edit Yeah. You would, you track those things and keep like, so you want to keep tabs on it and have like date stamps and things like that behind it. But yeah, usually that's sort of the way to think. I mean, and again, it's weird. Like, it's funny. Like as soon as you publish a book, if you're an author, you'll find that like you Google it and there are people who've ripped it and put it up as a free PDF out there. Uh, And, and people are always like, I can't believe they would do that. You know, listen, it's a, it's some senses, like it's a shame, but also it's sort of one of those things that like, the you know, the content itself is is valuable. The application of that content is really where most of the value comes from. And from a book standpoint, I oftentimes will tell people, like, you know, our philosophy in this author community called manuscripts we have is that we're not launching books. We're launching authors. And the reason that matters is that most authors today are monetizing their knowledge, not just from words on a page. And so you'll see that, like most of our authors report that, you know, 85 to 95% of the earnings and revenues and outcomes from their book are not from retail book sales, right? It's not from Amazon. It's from getting paid to speak or getting hired to coach or getting a new client. So that's really what I think is important about Signature Content is that usually the the content itself in general we have as a society deemed that we want to get content to as many people as possible that's why you put stuff on twitter for free you're not charging for it you're putting it out there because you want to spread it and books are sort of this hybrid thing where we want people to you know to do it but I give away as many books as I can to people who want it. So if anyone in your audience is like, hey, Eric, I'd love to read your book. Perfect. I'm happy to send you a PDF of it. If you like it, you can buy the book. But but I think a big part of that is understanding that, yeah, there's really this big opportunity for us to think about ways that we can turn our signature content into knowledge that is monetizable, that we can do in other ways. So that's sort of a way I would say to think about it that might might be helpful anyways.
0: No, I love that, and I want to uh, also leave some time for for you if you have anything that we haven't discussed to share and and do any plugs. Uh, but Eric, for the people that are interested in creating signature content but have never done it before, never put out any content, where is the best place and to start, and how do you start?
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna I'll talk about the book side of it because that's really where I focus my energy on in that sort of way. So I think the first thing is if anyone's interested, like, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I'm easy to find, but certainly happy to have a conversation. I think part of what I think is important for anyone who's thinking about signature content is today, it really is about making sure that you have something. Um, that is sort of unique. I'm not saying it's like novel in that way, but it's unique to you. You have a different way of seeing it. So we call it designing a new category. So I'm a big believer in this concept of category design today, which is we're looking for gaps that are missing out there in the market. And so like when I published Super Mentors, so Super Mentors came out last year. There's there's lots of books on mentorship. There's lots of like content on mentorship. But my take is that we're doing mentorship wrong. So you don't start with the mentor, you start with the project. So the first place that I always tell people to start is go through an exercise of figuring out what is the gap that your signature content can fill. And I think that's really what it is. So from that book standpoint, that was it. From my business side of it, I focus on supporting modern authors, people who want to own their IP, build their audience, use modern tools, and build better economic outcomes. So category design is that, this idea of looking for something that's missing out there. But that's the first thing I would tell anyone to do is to think about like, all right, I don't just want to write a book. I want to write something that's missing out there and find that piece um, behind it. So that's I think, the first thing that I would tell. And if anyone's thinking about a book, like feel free to reach out. I'm always, you know, you and I chatted. And I think many times people still are like, oh, huh, I was thinking about it in a different way. And, and I think that's kind of the first thing to know. I think the second thing that I would just share with people about it is my encouragement is really to design a process that is finishable. And so much about books or whatever it is, is that people start out saying like, okay, I'm gonna write a book but they don't really design the process that they will finish. And so thinking about like, what are the milestones? What is the team? Like that kind of stuff behind it. So don't just start, but design it so you can finish in that way. And so for authors in in our community, it's about a year long process. You're going to spend about five or six months developing your first draft. Then you'll build this community and then you'll publish, you know, six months later. So you design the process in that kind of way. And so for most of the time, what I would tell you is if you are looking to create signature content, find a community that can learn with you you can create with you can have that sort of stuff behind it you know there's things like there's groups out there that help people you know establishing their youtube presence there's people who establish your you know podcast presence um you know we help people with books so i think figure out your tribe your community of creating together um and then i think the last thing honestly is to to remember that these projects signature projects our, our signature, because again, they take a set of calendar time. And so you can't just like finish it in a weekend. And so I will tell you, like, there are things all over Facebook now, all over Instagram, which is like, use AI to write your book in a weekend. And like, that's not real right it's not a real thing right like signature content will require your thought your depth your work your insights your help your iterations on it and so i think when you're thinking about doing something is just to remember that like part of the reason that it works is because people know that it's real and they know that it's yours and they know that you put time into it and they know that you invested in it so i think that's just really important is to remember that it's uh you know for me The work was certainly heavy, but the payoffs have been way outstripped in it. I mean, my books, have they're million-dollar assets, each one. And Alex Hormozy said the same thing. like Every book that he creates uh, is a million dollars uh, or more of value that he's received from it. And I would echo that. I think clearly more than that for me um, from every book I've done. And I think signature content should be something that you see in that way.
0: Do you see specifically for the books that you're developing that you have a goal on length or on, on how many chapters or any of those types of KPIs that are more measurable.
1: uh, Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I mean, I actually know, right. Like what it looks like. So I've actually, you know, if you want to figure out like, let's reverse engineer. So let's just say someone on this audience here is like, I want to write a book. And so the first thing I would say is you want to figure out like, not just like, I want to write a book, but what this book is going to do for you. Right. So I want to write a book that's going to get me more paid speaking i want to write a book that's going to get me more clients so figure out the outcome first so start there but let's just say that like in this audience many of the people are entrepreneurs or aspiring thought leaders or influencers so in many cases what i would sort of say is you want to create knowledge opportunities right so you want to basically be able to get hired by people to coach them, hire, hire get more clients from something, more speaking workshops, that kind of stuff behind it. So the first thing is to figure out what the outcome is and then design the book that's going to do it. So for many people in this audience, the style of book is called a thought leadership book. So thought leadership books are the Adam Grants, the Brene Browns, the Simon Sinek, the Les Browns, Like that's the kind of book that it is. So those books are really designed in a particular way. So they take a set of stories and experiences from your life and they blend them with stories and experiences of other people and use those stories to teach or paint a pattern out there. That's really what the style of book is. So in general, that's the thing. You want to use that book because it improves your credibility. Most of the time when someone has a book like this, their speaking rates go up 3 to 5x. Their coaching rates go up 2 to 4x. That's what they're designed to do. So think of it as an asset that's going to elevate your credibility, number one. And cred- credibility for what? I want to get more investors. I want to get more clients, those kind of things. So that's the first thing. Then the second step in that one. So I figured out my outcomes. I figured out the style of book. Then how do you design a book in that way? And so we'll tell you what in general these books are. When you study like best selling books in this category for the last 20 years, they tend to cluster at 205 pages to 255 pages. So from a word count standpoint, it's about 36,000 to 52,000 words. There you go. Now, on average, these books have 10 to 15 chapters. So you can start to run the math. So let's just say you have a dozen chapters, 32 to 35,000 words. So in general, you're going to write a dozen chapters, 3,000 to 4,500 words. So now you're dancing here, right? Now we got these things. So I'm going to write a 250 page book, 200 page book. I'm going to have a dozen chapters, 3,000 to 5, 4,500 words. Now let's go down one rung cheaper, one rung more. What's in that chapter? Well, in general, about 60 to 80% of that style book, again, the Adam Grant, Simon Sinek, Malcolm Gladwell style books are story driven. So you're going to have two to four stories personal stories, people you interview, people you research, and that's going to accomplish half of it. So now you're talking about, okay, you're probably going to need to write twenty to 30,000 words of stories, another chunk of things about research, experts, your own opinions and takeaway, and there you have a book. So that's, I think, what's really interesting. If you design it to finish, you know what the end point is. Why am I doing it? I know what it's going to look like, and I can break it down into smaller pieces. So now I know what I need to do. In my four hours this week, I'm going to go out and write a couple stories. Three of them are personal stories. I interviewed this person and what you got it is. So I always tell people, especially on the book side of it, is that you don't write a book, you build it. And you have to understand the output, the kind of the outcome. You have to understand the structure. And then you have to understand the pieces so that you can do it efficiently. And that's why you can do it in you know four to six hours, because you're not like hoping that you figure it out. You know what the pieces are to build up into the outcomes you want.
0: No, I, I really appreciate that perspective because I think too, oftentimes for me, when I start on a new project, first thing I want to get into is, is how do I make this happen? What are the logistics behind doing that? So I, I really appreciate the the breakdown of that. Um, Eric, I know we are... Uh, close to time, and so I want to firstly thank you so much for your time and perspective. This was a fascinating conversation that I hope people um, can really get inspired by. Uh, but I want to leave the last word for you on if there's anything that we haven't discussed that you think would be valuable for people to know, and then also um, if you have any plugs on ways people can get in touch or support the work that you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, so first off, thank you for having me. I mean, I this is this is my mission, right? Like, I, uh, you know, when I started this journey about eight years ago, I, I was, I found myself at this point where I was like kind of feeling frustrated because I would meet all these ambitious people, and I didn't know actually how to help them. And so, learning these things, I think, is important to know. The world has changed, and I think that's what's important to know is that. It used to be that I would call it. We would have kind of the escalator career. You would go to a good school. You'd get on the escalator, and it would basically take you where you needed to go. Life's different now. I call it like you have the video game career. You're gonna pick up the controller and maybe go down this tube, and you know, like you just have to like play your life and career out differently. So I think that's what's important to know. Is it's it's not. It has changed and it's changed in terms of our ability to have agency um, and kind of create our own luck. So I think that's probably the first thing that I would say is it's good to know that like the world is different behind it. Um, I think that I would maybe like leave the audience with this thing is, uh, you know, when I first started teaching this class at Georgetown, which has now become this community of people, um, I was worried that no one, uh, would want to take this class to write a book or that they would, you know, because it's hard, right? Like this year long thing, maybe in these six months and like all this sort of stuff. And what I would tell you, I realized in that very first semester, so I came into the first group of students, there was about a dozen students in the room. And I said, we're going to write a book this semester. I know this seems scary, but if, you know, uh, if you're interested, I'll help you do it. And I thought that maybe one or two people would stick around for that semester, In the week that happened the next week, the class actually tripled in size. People told their friends, they came together. And what I learned in that moment is two important things. Number one, people want to work on things that matter. We want to work on things that are meaningful, that create that social legacy. We want things that are important to do it. And we don't want to do it alone. And so I think that's what's really important is that if you want to do something that matters, if you want to finally like release this amazing season of a podcast, if you want to do a book, if you want to put on a conference, you should. Why? Because that stuff matters. Those are things that will last and create this social legacy for you. But the second thing is like, don't do it alone. Like you don't need to hero this thing. Find a community, find people around it, and that will help you a lot. And yeah, if there's anything I could be helpful on, like I said, um, Manuscripts.com is the author community. We're a B Corporation. We've helped 2,000 authors. So we have this social mission to help um, you know 10,000 authors in the next eight years. Um, and so it's a really neat place that we do it. So if you want to write a book, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm really easy to get in touch with and happy to sort of start a conversation with it. And then I think the last thing is if you're, if you're interested in sort of understanding a little bit more of my philosophy, uh, I have a new book that came out called Super Mentors. Feel free if you want a copy of it to reach out. I'm happy to get you a digital copy of it but super Mentors is really this insight about how people make their own luck and they make it by picking a project, uh, making it collaborative, finding ways to involve people, and then ultimately using that to kind of unlock new opportunities. So whether it's, you know, any piece of signature content that fits into it. And so, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully there's some interesting conversations that spark from this one. And I think you can attest, uh, spending time uh, with these conversations when you want to do something important and ambitious is fun. And, uh, I'm grateful you brought me in here.
0: Well, thank you so much, Eric, for your time. And um, I i know that I, for one, am very looking forward to getting to grow uh, my signature content and seeing what everyone develops. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: You bet. Thanks, everyone. Great to see you all today.